Purdue fans, this is Johnny DeCamp bringing you play-by-play -play the Rousey. Everybody, Rousey. along with Ron Kramer, this is Pete Van Weeren welcoming you to ross Aid Stadium. Live from ross Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. It's a football Saturday in West Lafayette, Indiana, and one of the biggest home games in decades. Boilermakers rush the field. What a night in West Lafayette. Your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue Football in the Raw Sage Greatest Games podcast. Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today. Welcome to the Raw Sage Greatest Games podcast. I'm Corey Palm with Tim Newton as we celebrate the home of the Boilermakers by going through, uh, well, some of the greatest games in its 100-year history. Uh, a few notes before we get started. As always, this is not a comprehensive list. We can't quite get through all the great games in the weeks that we have. We're doing our best. Um, secondly, these will be presented. They are being presented chronologically, not uh, as any sort of rank order. Although, Tim, i got to say, today's game, yep. if we were ranking, this this would be in everybody's top three. I think that. Today, uh, plenty to talk about with this game. We are going all the way back to, all the way back, to October 20th, uh, 2018, and the Tyler Trent game. Um, Tim, lots to talk about before the game. Before we do, what are some of your memories just overall from that day? Well, it started out strangely. If you remember, the fans that were there that night, there was a big storm. The kickoff was at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, something in that range. At about 4 o'clock, there was a huge storm that went through, and we, we used to park at the golf course um, heading in, and then they would shuttle us over. Right after we got through on the golf course, we heard there was a big tree that fell, and it was just about where we had gone through on the golf course. So you kind of think, this might be our night after. <laughs> but it was really windy, really blustery, a little bit chilly. But the electricity, once that game kicked off, sometimes you get a night game and there's a big there's a big charge at the beginning and then it kind of fades. This one, from opening kickoff to final gun, there was a buzz and an electricity that you've rarely felt in Rossi. It was, it was palpable, absolutely. And I've heard, you know, the... Sort of the easy thing to say as well. It was it was written in the stars. It was everyone you know that it was out of everyone's hands that the outcome was determined, and and that may be true. Um, but but yeah, I agree with you on the energy. The weather is an interesting footnote. Looking back, uh, my wife incidentally that night was at a concert up in South Bend that night, and it was snowing. So it was somewhere between here and South Bend was the front. But um, it, before we get to the game itself, the, the 2018 season. It did not start like no, it did not. season two of the Brahm era. It did, not, it did not start well. Purdue started the season 0-3 at that opening game against Northwestern that yep. people were all geared up about, and then an inexplicable loss to Eastern Michigan in the rain, Yep. and then a loss the next week, and you're you're sitting in 0-3 and, and wondering after the 2017 season had people so excited, yeah. where is this going? And then all of a sudden things turned around, and still, though, Ohio State came in a prohibitive prohibitive favorite in this game, mostly because of their offense. Dwayne Haskins was having a terrific year, and they had as prolific an offense as Ohio State usually does. Yep, yep. Talking to Jeff Brown before that game, he felt like Purdue could score. He felt like they could move the ball and score against Ohio State. The big question was, could they stop the Buckeyes? And we kind of, we got a little bit of an answer early on in that game, uh, early uh, Purdue got on the board first. David Blau, who is going to be our guest later on uh, on the show when David joins us for what we hope is going to be a great, well, we know is going to be a great conversation. He hit Isaac Zico for a touchdown late in the first quarter. That capped a 98-yard scoring drive. Right. 
And the Buckeyes turned around and drove down the field, but got held to a field goal. But the defense was in that sort of bend but don't break mode early and, and was able to make a stop. Well, that was the case all night long. Ohio State threw the ball 73 times in that game, and they were able to move the ball pretty well inside the 20s. But once they got down close to the goal line, the Purdue defense stiffened and one of the Boilermakers were scoring touchdowns, Ohio State was being held a field goal. Absolutely. 7-3 is where it was uh, deep into the second quarter. Uh, Purdue with the ball and, well, hoping for some points before the half. Uh, they drive down. We are, you know, late in the first half, fourth and three, and uh, one of the calls of the year from from Coach Brom and, uh, and his staff is, they tried out Spencer Evans for what was not going to be a field goal attempt. No, and if you remember, just before that, if I remember correctly, um, Rondale had rare, a rare thing for him. He had dropped he a pass. He dropped a pass. That would have been a touchdown. Yes, he was going to. So he came off, was hanging his head, and if you know you, you bring a field goal unit on, you're thinking, well, this we're going to get some points, but it's really deflating. Yep. Joe Shopper, who was a great athlete, uh, I don't know, he needed three. He got about 3.1, and he got hammered. He did. And the biggest concern we had was, did he hang out of the football? Because he got hit as, as hard as anybody did that night. I remember talking to him later that week or the next week, maybe might have been after the game. I don't I don't. You lowered your shoulder a little bit there, Joe. You were trying to punish somebody. You yeah. forgot that you're a punter here. Like, uh, he, he was trying to lay the lumber. And, and like you said, everyone fortunate he just hung on to the ball, got the new set of downs, yep. and then uh, Rondell atoned. Caught the next one. Yep. And and so the whole the whole feeling changed. Purdue's up 14-3, and now the country is starting to notice, hey, the number two Buckeyes are in trouble too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Second half, uh, well, Ohio State opened the second half with a field goal, made it 14 But I think the key there, a long drive to start, because you're thinking 14-3 and Buckeyes are going to get the kickoff. If they go down and score, stop, you know, then 10. They drove, and again, Purdue's defense stiffened, and instead of 14-10, it was only 14-6. Just so you know, everybody watching, uh, we all do that math when we're watching a game. Okay, if we can stop here, they can stop here. It's 14-10, then it's four. They maybe hold it to a field goal, 14. We're all doing that constant calculation. I didn't major in math, but I know <laughs> touchdowns are better than field goals. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they didn't. They got three, and then uh, we got six. Once again, DJ Knox busts uh, a, a rushing touchdown. 21-6 Boilermakers. Recurring theme here. Yes. Buckeyes drive the length of the field. Yep. They've got fourth down. Yeah. And they get stopped. Yeah. Maybe the biggest play of the game because, again, 21-6, they decide a field goal is not going to do them any good at that point. They go for the touchdown, and, and Purdue makes a breakup at the goal line. And then all of a sudden, I think, if you weren't believing before that, now you're starting to think, hey, this, this might just happen. Really starting to feel it. Uh, we go to the fourth quarter. Boilermakers up 21-6. DJ Knox. DJ Knox, who, who people forget, was the National Offensive Player of the Week for his performance in this game. And one of the reasons is that 42-yard touchdown run that he made early in the fourth quarter to extend that lead to 28. They caught the Buckeyes in a little bit of a misalignment, not just once but twice in that fourth quarter and popped big plays. Uh, and and DJ Knox was untouched on both touchdowns. And uh, again, the, the, I think the the roar of the Ross Aid crowd on his first touchdown is as loud as I've ever heard that stadium. It was it was uh, part just exuberation and part how unexpected it was. Yeah, for sure. Thirty five thirteen after his second touchdown, Ohio State had had answered back, but at this point they couldn't trade blow for blow oh. with the Boilermakers. Uh, they were in a bad spot. The Buckeyes knew they had to 
to to try an outside kick. Mm-hmm. It failed. It's 35-13, and the Boilermakers have the ball at midfield, and then the magic happened. Yep. Uh, the play that, that has come to typify that game, uh, third down um, after not getting a whole lot, not really trying to get a whole lot, it didn't seem. The Boilermakers were... We're trying to run clock halfway through the fourth quarter with a with a couple score lead. Yeah. And uh Rondell starts out in the backfield, goes in motion. Yeah. David Blau takes a snap, drops back, and just swings a, an, an easy little pass out to the left flat. Sometimes the easiest plays are the best plays. And you remember that Ohio State they actually scored a touchdown. It was 35-20. 35-20. And you're thinking, okay, if you have to punt the ball here, all of a sudden Ohio State scored now the last two times they've had the ball. They score again, it's going to be a one-touchdown game, and anything can happen. And uh, we'll talk with David about that a little bit later, but what I remember is I had given up on the play when Rondale got close to the sideline because I knew he'd made the first down, which was the important thing because they're going to be able to take more time off the clock. And it was down in the field down below us, and we we were screened because there were all sorts of people on the sideline. And all of a sudden, you see number four squirt out of there. He's thinking, did he step out of bounds and he's just doing this yeah. just because? Can't give it up. And the, you could hear the roar of the crowd, and then you realize this guy's going to score a touchdown. And score a touchdown running diagonal across the field and still pulling away from every uh, white and gray clad uh, football player yeah. that was in pursuit to Rondell. Comes across the goal line 42-20 at that point, and I think – Everybody, including the Buckeyes, knew that it was over. But there was still one more cheer to be put on top of the Sunday in that one. There sure was. Uh, the Buckeyes get the ball. Uh, they don't. They're moving a little bit. Dwayne Haskins drops back and, and sends a pass out to his left. Marcus Bailey is uh, is there, a Columbus native. Yep, who had not been recruited by the Buckeyes and had had this game circled for years. Funny how that works. Bailey grabs it, goes the other way uh, for the for the final score. Uh, it wasn't instantaneous that the fans stormed the field, but it sure felt like that. Fireworks going off in the background. Uh, Chris Fowler and Kirk Street with, with one of the most iconic calls in Purdue sports history. Boilermakers rush the field. What a night in West Lafayette. The strobes are going off here. Have you ever seen this before? How about the timing of the strobe lights? They got the fireworks going off. They were ready for a party. Maybe they saw it coming. Nobody else did. Not just an upset of an undefeated number two ranked team. A route, 35 points in the second half. Four fourth quarter touchdowns by Purdue. And it was one of the first times they had used the flashing lights. Yeah, remember those were fairly new yeah. at that point to Ross Aid. And they said afterward, it seems like this is choreographed. Well, well, yeah. It was. They, they planned this, yes. <laughs> On the day, Blau, 378 yards and three scores. Um, DJ Knox, 16 carries for 120 and three scores. And Rondell, 12 catches for 170 and two touchdowns. And he had that iconic play, yeah. like we say, but uh, he's also just one of very, very many stars that day. You know, I remember in the fourth quarter, the two long runs by DJ Knox. You remember the great play that Rondale made and Marcus, but then the last thing you remember is Tyler Trent being wheeled in his wheelchair in front of the Purdue bench, and everybody in the crowd understands what's happening. Yeah. And it was almost like uh, the Pope was was riding through. I mean, the, the, the reverence that was shown and the love that was shown that night, something that we'll never forget. And it was it would you know you take if you take Tyler Trent out of this it would still be an electric night. Absolutely. Minnesota Ohio State the number two team under the lights, but adding that um, 
it's a night that none of us will ever forget. Well, you were up in the booth calling the action. I was actually down on the sidelines and, and right next to, in the vicinity of Tyler as he was being wheeled up the up the sideline and, and ultimately up the tunnel to the Purdue locker room so that he could he and his family could could revel in the the victory and he was we've seen the video afterwards he was hugged by virtually every member of that team afterwards um he came to the post game press conference and uh in in the media room the the first thing that uh, coach Brom did was let Tyler speak i'm uh, not entirely sure and qualified to make the opening statement but just want to say boiler up and uh super happy that uh, my prediction came true. Before that even happened, uh, Tyler shared a, a, a very private uh, hug and some words with David Blau, and uh, it was it was it was a magical night to be sure. You know, there are nights when you when you do what we do, and and you don't want to leave because once you leave the stadium room, I, I had that in 1999 when Purdue won the women's national championship. I didn't want to leave San Jose Arena because there was like there was still this this magical bond. You didn't want to leave the stadium. You wanted that feeling forever. And you saw this, the field being rushed and, and talking to, to Jeff after the game on the headset. It was just such an unbelievable night. And, you know, certainly you, the, the, the good feelings lasted, but it was almost like Field of Dreams. Once you walked out of the stadium, a little bit of the magic went with it. You just wanted that to last. I had that same thing in the Foster Farms Bowl the year before. Yep. And in the Music City Bowl when, when Purdue had the overtime went over Tennessee. You just don't want to leave. You don't want it to ever end. Yep. That feeling that you have of such a such a great feeling, and especially if it's a back and forth game in an electric atmosphere like this, it's 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 why you do it's why you love sports. It is. It is the reason that we love sports. Uh, it's the reason that we. We pack into a stadium on Saturdays in the fall, and uh, basketball arenas all year round, it feels like, uh, to, to try and capture that moment. We're going to try and recapture some of that magic when we come back. We talk to David Blau right after this. Your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue football. Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today. We're joined now by David Blau, the man who led the Boilermakers to victory uh, on that fateful night in uh, 2018. David, I know you're catching us uh, uh, in between stops here out uh, out in Phoenix. Uh, thanks for joining us to, to talk about this uh, Ross Aid's Greatest Game edition. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for bearing with me with my technical difficulties as well. The viewers know no better. Let yeah, me tell te- you, technology is wonderful when it works. When it doesn't, it's right. So good, David. How often do That's you think right. about that uh, that twenty eighteen Ohio State game? Wow, um, <laughs> believe it or not, probably more often than you think. I I have had so many encounters over the last five years or so or so with uh, fans, Buckeyes and Boilermakers with uh, fans who are Detroit Lions fans during my time in Detroit who enjoyed seeing the team from Ohio State lose that night. Um, and there's so many encounters that uh, it brings up to me, even uh, thinking about Tyler, thinking about, um, you know, now I get to see Rondale every day and we get to share that night together here in Arizona. And so there's so many different times that uh, over the last five years where uh, October 20th, 2018 has been, right on the front of my brain. 
You know, it was a strange night, David. We I got to the stadium about three hours before kickoff, and I think a lot of people forget there was a big storm that went through that night. And even at game time, even the rain had stopped, but it was still a pretty windy night. Was it difficult to throw the football early in that game? You know, I remember coming out um, for warm-ups thinking, man, this is kind of brutal. It was cold. It was windy. It was a little bit wet. Maybe the grass was wet, so if the ball hit the turf, it was a little slick. And I remember thinking, wow, it is cold and windy um but i think once kickoff kind of came and went and the energy in that stadium was the way it was it was like it really it it kind of felt to me that it didn't really matter um whether we were able to throw it all over the yard or if we were gonna have to run it that that things were just going our way and, and it just felt you know special that night absolutely we've talked uh, about some other upsets and and one thing that you kind of have to always have to to get an upset of that magnitude is you have to have some breaks. You guys caught some breaks early on in that game. Uh, uh, you know, when when you can put seven on the board and the other team only gets three, I mean, that's that's a break. When uh, when you are looking to to go up, you know, to go into halftime up by a little bit, and you got the courage to call a fake punt or uh, excuse me, a fake field goal. Uh, the punter Joe Shopper threw me off there when when he he yeah, barrels right. for four yards when he needed three. I mean, it, it, there were some things that that went the way of the Boilermakers early that kind of kind of helped carry that momentum and helped keep that energy up in the stadium. Yeah, definitely. And I remember that um, being the case. It, it just felt like everything was going our way. Whether it was uh, maybe it was a penalty here or there, maybe it was a fumble uh, by DJ Knox that bounced out of bounds instead of into into one of their, you know, one of the defender's arms. And, yeah, Joe Shopper uh, running for that first down and us getting on the board with the, the Rondale touchdown. And then and then even into the second half, uh, the fourth quarter, really, right, was we would call a run play on third and medium or third and long, and DJ's running untouched, you know, into the end zone. And so there's a lot of those moments where I, I reflect back and I'm like, wow, that was, it was just special. It, it really was just a special night. David, talking to Coach Brom going into that game, he thought you could score touchdowns and score points against the Ohio State defense. The question was, could you stop that Buckeye offense? I thought the defense played out of its mind, especially for the first three quarters. No, I agree 100%. I was just you know, kind of reflecting on it. You think about, obviously, Marcus Bailey and his performance, but Antonio Blackman uh, played as good as I remember our corner playing that night. Um, during my time at Purdue, just uh, in on contesting every play, um, making it hard for their really skilled group of quarterback and receivers to throw the ball down the field. And, you know, they threw it 70 plus, 73, if I remember correctly, 70 plus times. And um, I felt like it wasn't easy completions for an offense that had been so potent. Definitely. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people, when they think of that game, they'll think of, of Marcus's pick six at the end. Uh, they'll think of, you know, DJ running untouched up the middle. But the play that comes first, you know, in front of mind for most people is is that late touchdown that Rondell had in the fourth quarter where it is just a simple swing pass out into the left flat. And the next thing you know, he's, he's I don't know, run over about 14 Buckeyes somehow. Um, the Explain that play or, or walk us through that play from your vantage point. Yeah, I think I, I got to go back now, but we, we had run some sort of, uh, you know, Coach Brom liked to call um, some of the quarterback run games whenever we had it, when we had to have it in the uh, 
kind of critical down and distances, I would say. And so I had had a run earlier that might have converted a third down, and he knew we were getting a lot of man coverage. They, they knew they had to kind of give us man coverage, so he's like, okay, let's put Rondell in the backfield, and, and as long as we get Rondell's guy blocked, which I believe as we we uh, motioned him out to the left and, and threw it to him on the swing pass, Cole Herdman just got enough of the guy who is responsible running with him. And, you know, if that defender goes over the top of him, the angle's completely different. But Cole got that defender to go underneath, and Rondell catches it on the swing. He's got momentum going downhill, and then the, you know, the incredible athletic ability that he has and uh, center of gravity and all the strength he has in his legs to make guys miss and to drag defenders and to shake off. And um, that was easily the highlight of, my career that you know that night and um you know seeing him run into the end zone and celebrate with my teammates you know i have to admit on that touchdown it was a third down play and and if you remember i think you were up two touchdowns at the time so you're trying to make sure that you that you score or at least hang on to the football for a little bit as soon as he got past the first down marker i kind of relaxed a little bit and i saw he was looked like he was going out of bounds so I started to glance at the computer screen and i my son was spotting for me and he kind of hit me on the arm like rondale's still running you know, I, I was just as surprised wow. as anybody else because we couldn't see him. He disappeared into the Ohio State defense, and then all of a sudden, here comes number four running into the end zone. Yeah, I think, I think right, that's exactly probably when you hear Chris Fowler say, he's still going. It's more in motion. They get it to him. More in space. A burst of speed. A first down for Purdue. He's still going. More. Touchback. And you know it's you know it's that it's that iconic clip for all of us, um, and I think it's that same feeling. It was like, wow, we got the first down. Here comes another two minutes off the clock, and then he did what only he can do, you know, with the ball in his hand. And that was kind of when it hit me. It was like, we got this. Gonna happen. <laughs> There's no coming back from yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the uh, final final whistle blows. Uh, that that field got overrun pretty quick. Uh, by 60,000 people uh, in that melee, what were you doing? Were you, were you celebrating? Were you trying to find someone? Were you trying to get to the locker room? Wow. That's you're You're making me reflect on all these, you know, fun memories. Uh, one of my best friends from one of my high school teammates and best friends and the guy that I've trained with at his gym for the last 16 years uh, came to the game. It was really one of the only games they came to other than Nashville. Um, and so they came to that game, and they were one of the first ones on the field hugging me. And um, I remember at the time standing there with um, Matt Rector, and he had told me that uh, ABC or I think it was ABC or ESPN was going to find me, and Maria Taylor was going to do an interview. But with how fast it um, kind of got swarmed, we never got the hap- that we never got that to happen. So that. Uh, I just became one of the 60,000 in the moss pit, which, uh, which was a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of, um, my friends that I've never met, you know, trying to take my towel, but it it was a great time. (laughs) Well, David, this is a game that's going to go down in Purdue history is the Tyler Trent game. Talk about your relationship with Tyler and specifically that night, what that meant to you to be able to give him that kind of a gift. Um, you know, I am a firm believer that everything that happened that night, everything with Tyler's uh, story was divine. 
was ordained that it happened exactly how it was supposed to with the college game day piece, the way it was aired that morning and then the attention on the game. And then um, Tyler being able, after having a rough week, to be able to be there and get to see us, you know, kind of accomplish what he had hoped for us. Unexplainable. That's Boilermaker spirit right there. When you were dreaming of trying to get here, fighting through what you've been through over the last weeks, how did you envision this night playing out? Not like this, honestly. Honestly, as a really good football team, and I knew we had a chance, but I didn't think it was going to be 42 to 20, that's for sure. And then, obviously, he was so brilliant and so smart, and he was able to use um, the platform that he had been given uh, from his voice to now impact others and raise million or millions of dollars for cancer research and um, to share his story and his testimony and, and how powerful uh, it is. That's, that's what I see. You know, when, when somebody stops me and they say, wait, you were the quarterback of Purdue that night, you'll beat Ohio State. And then the next thing is, and, and the kid, uh, Tyler Trent, right? That That's every encounter I have about that, that night is, about Tyler, and that's what people remember, and that's, in my opinion, exactly how it should be. For for a young man to have that kind of impact on the world is is really kind of all anyone can ask uh, of this life, and and just we were always amazed at his pure selflessness, like you said, to to make it about something so much larger than himself, to be very open about his faith, to be very open about his his mission, and then to be able to live it out so strongly. Um, it, it's been awe-inspiring, really, like you said. That's, uh, that's exactly right, Corey. I mean, it's, uh, Romans one sixteen says, for we are unashamed of the gospel. And he was unashamed, like, he was unashamed of what he believed and what he stood for and, and what he wanted to, uh, people to know about him and his life. So that was, uh, that's something that is living with me today, just seeing how bold he was and, um, Yeah really special. The story did not end that night, of course. You've stayed in contact with the Trent family, and we have Ethan Trent, who's actually going to walk onto the football team starting this. Well, that seems hard to believe. Um, again, what what has that meant to you personally, to be involved with the Trent family and the cause that they have tried to, uh, to uphold here? Yeah, I think, um, right, I, our families were bonded because of the impact that cancer has had on their family and on me and my mom and our family and uh it started there but it turned into um just a genuine relationship of people supporting one another community lifting one another up and uh, being able to be there for them when they needed me and maybe talk to Ethan or Blake and um you know them Tony and Kelly being able to pour into me when I needed some advice on some things so um it's a relationship that I cherish like very deeply and one that I know that a big part of that reason I was at Purdue as the quarterback my senior year uh, in 2018. Your journey, uh, your journey at Purdue was an interesting one from from playing early and putting up some monster numbers to, you know, uh, fighting for playing time there for a bit. You had a pretty, pretty fantastic injury at one point that you had to come back yeah. from and then to have you know, some of those moments of triumph your your senior year uh, really seems to be the 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 right way for that career to uh, to to end up. Uh, since then, you are uh, well. You're in Phoenix for a reason, like you said. You you get to 
see Rondell every day and and uh, gearing up for is it year five in the NFL? This is this is year five oh in the NFL goodness. now. So I know it's hard for me to believe too. I remember being in my first season and guys would say, "Oh yeah, I'm going into four. I'm going into six. I'm oh y'all are old, and, you know like and and now here now here." And not only football responsibilities, David, but uh, family responsibilities. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, one of the greatest joys my wife and I have gotten to walk through together in four years of marriage is now we're about three weeks away from welcoming, welcoming our uh, first child into the world and um, really excited to, you know, tackle fatherhood and, and trying to be the best husband and father that I can be while also pursuing a career and whatever it may be if, if football were to come to an end. Well, we know you might have a magic career. You've had a few moments on hard knocks over the years. You've, you've got a little uh, a dabbling in some TV. I know, I know coaching's probably in your future as well, but uh, you've certainly got some, some options to you, it seems. You know, I, I think about all of them, you know, all the time, whether it's, um, you know, what will the work-life balance look like? What will the, the stress of coaching put on my family and, and all those things? And, and I think for me, at least some of the most important men in my life have been coaches. And I think being able to do that and impact the next generation of athletes uh, coming up and uh, serve them as well as, you know, kind of scratch my, my love for football itch at the same time would, would I think, be really satisfying and, and a life well lived. We've talked a little bit, David, about the legacy that uh, Tyler Trent and his family have left. What's the legacy of David Blau? What do, years from now, when they think back on David Blau at Purdue, uh, what do you want people to remember? Um, I hope they they remember somebody who uh, tried to do things the right way, who tried to lead as best we could, and and uh, put the team first. Right, like that was always my first goal was to. Uh, hopefully leave Purdue a better place than, um, than it was when I got there. And I hope that is the case that somebody remembers. And then, um, you know, I hope there's, I guess, 200 guys who I might have crossed paths with in that locker room that know that they ever need anything that they can call on me and I will be there and drop anything. I think that's uh, that's about a, all the legacy anybody can ask for sure. And, and I'm certain I'm certain that uh, that will be yours, uh, no doubt about it in my mind. Anything you've wanted to talk about that we haven't asked you about? Oh. Um, Any stories from that day that uh, that maybe are, are untold as of right now? <laughs> you know, I was actually texting with Kirk Barron the other day. Um, for some reason, it came up that I was just thinking there's a hilarious clip that has probably never been out there of us walking down the tunnel, uh, DJ Kirk and I going out for center and quarterback exchanges and Kirk slips and falls, um, right on those railroad tracks coming down to the field. And I was like, I can't believe that nobody else saw this or, or like it wasn't on a, a fail, you know, one of the, one of the fail lists, but that was something funny. Um, no, I, I just, I had an Ohio state guy come up to me in Phoenix the other day and say, um, He's like, I hate you. And I was like, wow, that's kind of And he rolled up his sleeve. He rolled up his sleeve. He showed me his Ohio State tattoo. And he said that night ruined that whole season for us. And not that that's, you know, why it's fun for us. But that's, that's always a fun story that I get to, I kind of get to live maybe once a month. That's wild. And I'm sure there are enough Buckeye fans around the country. You'll be able to relive that night f- forever. Trust me. 
you know, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay with saying this. I'm a firm believer that a big part of the reason I was in Detroit with the Lions was because of that night. There were so many people, um, you know, whether it's conscious bias or subconscious bias, um, who saw that night and have a love for Michigan and have a hatred for Ohio State, and they saw what we were able to do. And um, that was a big part of my legacy in Detroit was um, thanks for beating the Buckeyes. And, and I even had fun um, when I was a Browns, you know, on the Browns undrafted running around kind of doing the OH and, and them not knowing that I'm subtly – just a dig, just a little dig. I like uh, this. Just is a side of David Blau we did not see very often. I like this. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've uh, I'm, I've always been somewhat of the prankster. I've, I feel like I've had to I've had to uh, hide that side maybe a little bit more. We better let you go because the last thing we want is a, an angry spouse that we made you miss your plane. Uh, so hey, thanks for the time. And again, what a great night that was to to relive and. Uh, the f- I, there were whatever sixty thousand. I think before history is done, there will be five hundred thousand people who were at that game that night, and and whether they were there in person or not, they're going to have vivid memories of it. Thank you all so much for having me and letting me kind of reflect and, and relive that moment. And uh, thanks for honoring that special night in Tyler too. Thanks, David. Get your sleep now. <laughs> all right. Thank you.